Well, praise God. Do you want to just open your Bibles to Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 4. We're working through the book of Hebrews, and this is the 10th episode. The 10th sermon, if you want to use that word. And uh, I think if you're like me, you've been greatly blessed just by what has been shared as we've gone through what we've seen, what we've discovered, uh, what we've been reminded of as we've gone through this book so far. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, what incredible truths we've been discovering. And I think it's easy for us to say that the aim and the purpose for which the writer wrote this letter is very clear. It was to exalt Jesus' greatness, to exalt his centrality in all of God's dealings with us as human beings. And we saw in the first two chapters how he really proclaimed the gospel to us. He talked about Jesus' deity. He spoke about his nature being in very essence the nature of God. And how in scripture through the prophets he was actually called God. He was addressed as God. That everything was created through him and by him. The heavens are his handiwork. And that creation is sustained by him. I mean, these are amazing thoughts to me. I don't know whether they are to you, but they're amazing thoughts to me. To think that the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, that this is who he really is. The Jesus that we call and address as Lord and Savior, this is who he really is. He sustains creation by the power of his word. And then we also saw that he's worshipped by angels. And we just read that passage in Revelations where he's being worshipped by angels. Thousands upon thousands of angels. Tens upon tens of thousands of angels. I don't know, you can do the maths and see what that works out to. Around the throne of God, and there is Jesus, the one we read about in the Gospels. The one who fell asleep in the boat when the storm was brewing over the lake of Galilee. The one who touched the lepers, who sat and ate with sinners. This is who we're talking about today. And yet this is where he is. Worshipped in the presence of God. Seated on the throne of God. And then we also saw in chapter 2 that he became man. And that in becoming man, he fully identified himself with us. He became a man, fully man. And so we've looked at that. There was not one aspect 
in which he did not become fully identified with us. And we saw the reasons why he became a man. So that he could be the supreme and final prophet to us. To speak the very words of God to us. And die for our sins. It was so he could be the head of humanity. If we want to put it another term, the captain of humanity. The leader of humanity. And also so that he could be our representative before God for all eternity. Do you see the purposes for which he became a man? And it's this aspect of his representative ministry that we're wanting to focus in on today. You see, Jesus, after he had died and after he had been, he had rose from the dead, scriptures tell us he ascended to the very throne of God. And he was glorified at God's right hand. We saw this in chapter 2. The one who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while is now crowned with glory and honor. And all things have been subjected to him, placed under his feet, including the world that is to come. Do you know that there is a world that is going to come? That world has been subjected to him. And so, through what the writer has been saying, we have received great hope, great encouragement. But he didn't leave us there. In chapter 3 and in chapter 4, he moves on and he begins to exhort us as his readers. He begins to exhort us to do something in response to these truths. What does he say? We need to pay much closer attention to them. We need to consider Jesus, who is the apostle and high priest, we confess. We are to believe in him and hold fast to our confession of him and draw near to God through him. These are all exhortations that we see in this, in, in this letter. And then he also warns of the consequences of us neglecting Christ's words, of hardening our hearts to them, in other words, not believing them, disregarding them, and turning away from them. Why does he do this? He does it because he knows for us to benefit, in order for us to benefit from the truths that he has been speaking to us and sharing with us, we have to believe them and we have to act on them. In other words, as we saw last week, they have to be mixed in our hearts with faith. Do you know that the truths of Scripture do not benefit a single soul unless they are mixed in our hearts with faith? There has to be a coming together of God's Word and faith in order for God's Word to benefit anybody. In other words, just hearing God's word is not enough. It's not enough for someone just to hear the gospel, to hear about Christ. It's not enough even for someone just to mentally assent to the truths of the gospel. There has to be this embracing of the gospel. It has to shape our lives. It has to have bearing on us. And this is what the writer has been trying to get across to us. 
that if we're going to benefit from this incredible gospel and the incredible facts that are related to us in the gospel, there has to be an embracing of them in our hearts. There has to be this coming together of faith and of truth. And when that happens, something happens in our lives. You know, if someone was to, on a cold winter's night, was to take some tinder and some firewood and lay it perfectly in a fireplace, maybe you're up in Nyanga and it's cold, and you, you, you lay a perfect fire in that fireplace. But if you do not put that match and that flame to that wood, is it going to benefit you? And that's the same way when we come to God's Word. If we do not mix it with faith, if we do not embrace it wholeheartedly, if we do not allow it to have a bearing and significance in our lives to shape us, do you know what it is? It's just thoughts. It's just ideas. It doesn't benefit us. The gospel was given to change us. It was given to save us. And all these truths that we've been discussing, that's what they were, sh they were shared for. That's what they were proclaimed for. And so last week, we saw that the Israelites weren't able to enter into God's rest simply because they didn't mix what they heard, the gospel they heard, with faith. And God wants us, every single one of us, as we saw last week, to enter His rest. What is God's rest? We saw last week, I'm just recapping a little bit here. It is the true rest that only Jesus can give. Joshua was not able to give it. Moses was not able to give it. We cannot produce it for ourselves. We can only have God's rest and enter into God's rest through faith in Jesus Christ. This rest is the eternal Sabbath rest. The eternal Sabbath rest. The Sabbath of the Old Testament was, is just a picture of this Sabbath rest that God is talking about here in Hebrews chapter 4. It's just a picture. The true rest comes through Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a rest from the struggle to appease God. How many of you are struggling, trying to work out ways to appease God, to be at peace with Him? You know, maybe if I do this, if I work hard enough at this, if I'm a good enough person, if I give to the poor enough, if I do this and I do that, then maybe I'll find peace with God. Do you know what this rest is that he's talking about? It's a rest from that struggle. Where we're no longer having to struggle thinking how can we find peace with God? How can we gain God's favor? It's actually resting in the fact that we have that peace with Him. And we have that favor. It's a rest from the struggle of trying to live our lives apart from God. Do you know what that's the world? That's what the world is doing, isn't it? The world is busy, struggling, trying to live without God. Apart from God, separated from God. I don't know about us. Are any of us doing that? Are we trying to live our lives apart from Him? 
Do you know that the stress and anxiety that we often feel is just the consequence of us doing that? What is this rest? It's a rest from that struggle. Not necessarily from the struggles of all the trials that we face, but from the anxiety that they produce because we feel like we have to control everything. We have to be on top of everything. We have to be able to make our own way in our own strength by the power of our own arm. And you know what also it is? This rest is a, is a rest from the struggles and the fears, particularly the fear of death. We can have peace. So when we think of this rest, what are we thinking about? I think we can sum it up in this word, peace. It speaks of peace. When you talk of rest, there has to be peace. If there's no peace, if there's only anxiety and there's only turmoil, how can there be rest? The two just don't go together. There has to be rest, sorry, peace if there's going to be rest. There has to be peace in our hearts if there's going to be rest. And this is what God sent Jesus Christ to bring us into. This rest is really what salvation is about. This is what salvation brings us into, this rest that he's talking about here. And so the writer says that this rest is something that we need to be careful that we do not fall short of. It's a rest that we must enter into, and it's only by faith that that can happen. And then, as we read today, he begins to talk about Jesus as our high priest. And do you know that it's Jesus' ministry, His representative ministry at God's right hand that enables us to enter this rest. And this is what I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning contemplating. So we've got Hebrews up there. Just let's have a look at these words. Maybe you've thought of Jesus or you know of Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. When you talk of Jesus, He's my Lord, He's my Savior. How true is that? But how many of you see Him as your high priest? How many of you have really got a picture and a glimpse of Jesus representing you in heaven today? representing you before the throne of God today. So he starts off here and he says, we have a great high priest. Now maybe you don't even fully understand this term high priest. What is this all about? We're not going to get into great de depth today because as we move on in this letter, the writer is going to teach us and show us exactly what Jesus being our high priest means. But let me just say three things today. And maybe we can just put this up. The first one is he provides atonement. The high priest provides atonement. Have you got that slide? No? The second one is he represents us. And the third one is he provides access to God. Three things. Atonement, representation, and access to God. And this is what Jesus is to us. So we see from these verses... We have a great high priest. How great is he? Well, we've just been describing how great he is. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Aaron. 
He is seated at the right hand of God, and He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Everything has been subjected to Him. He's so great that the angels worship Him. He's so great that it says he, His name is above all names. So think on this. That's the one who is representing us in heaven today. God hasn't given us an angel to represent us. No angel was high enough for that job. He gave us His Son, whom He seated at His right hand. The one who's above all and over all is representing us. And He's provided access to God for us. Notice the next thing He says here. He's not only a great high priest, but He has passed through the heavens. What does this mean? He's passed through the heavens. Do you know what it means? He has ascended to the very highest place. He has ascended to the place that is above the heavens. He's passed through the heavens, and so He is above the heavens. He's in the place that existed even before there were any heavens. Even before the heavens were created. He's in that place that was there before that. He's gone right to the very throne of God from which everything that is seen and unseen has emanated. And you know that when he passed through the heavens, he passed through the heavens carrying his own precious blood. Why? So that right there in the presence of God, before God, on the very mercy seat, between the cherubim, He could sprinkle His blood to make atonement for our sins. I don't know whether you're getting the picture today. But in my heart, I see Jesus ascending right through the heavens. Right through every, all the different spheres of existence. Right to the very highest place where there is nothing above. And being seated at the right hand of God after He has sprinkled His blood on that mercy seat to make atonement for our sins. And there he is today. Not only to rule and uphold the universe. Not only to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. But to represent the people of God. I pray that God will help us to understand this today. To really capture this. I want you to think about the story of Esther. How many of you are familiar with that story? The story of Esther. Esther was, she had access to the king, the highest authority. And there was a plot, as you know the story, against the Jewish people. What did Esther do? Esther was able to go into the king's chamber and make intercession for the people. And because of her intercession, her representation, the people were saved and spared. Do you know that Jesus is our Esther. He has access right into the very presence of God and He's making intercession for us. That's why we can be saved. Isn't that wonderful? So we also see here, not only is He great, not only is he, has He passed through the heavens, is it still up there? But it says in verse 15, He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Not only do we have a great and exalted high priest, but we have a high priest 
who knows what it is to be a human being and knows what it is to live and struggle in all the things that we face, knows what it is to be in the presence of evil, knows what it is to have evil men lurking around and all the different fears and trials that we face as people. He knows our struggles and he can be sympathetic with our weaknesses because he's gone through everything we go through. As it says there, he was tempted in every respect just as we are. You name a trial, he went through it. You name a struggle, he experienced it. And yet, he was sinless through it all. Never once did the struggles and the trials and the temptations of this life overcome him. Which tells us something. We have a triumphant and victorious high priest. So let me just sum this up. We have a great high priest. We have a high priest who is highly exalted. We have a high priest who is sympathetic with us. And we have a high priest who is victorious and triumphant over it all. He has defeated Satan and all the myriads of Satan, all the host of Satan. He has overcome and he's representing us. So, isn't that wonderful? Let's just come and as we bring this to a close and let's just ask what this means to us all. What do these truths mean? How do they apply to our lives here and now? Does it mean that we will have no more trials, no more suffering, no more tears? Does Jesus, that representation that He provides at the right hand of God, does that, is that what it means? Not at all. Let me give you three things that it means. Firstly, it means our sins have been atoned for. And you know what that means? There's no more struggle to find peace with God. No more struggle to earn God's favor, to find His mercy. The sprinkling of Jesus' blood on that mercy seat has accomplished that for us. We have been justified. We are accepted in Him. We have access to God in prayer as we see right here. And you know what that means? It means this. The throne of God has come, become to us. It's no longer the throne of wrath. It's the throne of grace. Isn't that wonderful? When we come before the throne of God, it's no longer the throne of wrath. It's the throne of grace. It's been changed. We can approach it in that way. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that in our trials, we can come to God in prayer with confidence. Do you see that written there? We can come to God in prayer with confidence. Not because of who we are. Not because of what we've done. But because we have a high priest who has done what he's done. We don't come with confidence on our own merits, but we come on his merits. Isn't that wonderful? And we can present our prayers to him and our requests to him, and we can receive mercy and we can find grace to help in time of need. That means we will not be rejected. When we come to the throne of grace in the name of Jesus, we will not be rejected. I don't know about you, but I find that to be good news. Let's just look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. 
Because this is what Jesus' high priestly ministry means to us. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see what he's saying here? This is what we can do because of what Jesus has done, because of who Jesus is, because of where Jesus is situated and what he's doing there today. We do not have to be anxious about anything. You name it, I think that word anything covers it. We do not have to be anxious about anything. And you know, over the years, this is something that I've really had to learn. And there's been times when I began to be anxious about things. I remember one particular time I was about maybe 19, 20 years old. And I was looking at my life and I was thinking, how am I ever going to be able to provide for a wife and provide for children? And what future is there for me? I just couldn't see a way. At that particular time. And I'll never forget. I was on a farm. And I was walking along the road. And I was praying. And I was praying over this situation. What is my future? Lord, what do you want me here on this earth for? What, what, what is the purpose that I'm here for? And I heard his voice. Just reminding me of this scripture right here. Do not be anxious about anything. And I realized that what I was being anxious about was included in that. And then I saw what is the antidote to anxiety. Taking our prayers and our supplications with thanksgiving and presenting them to God. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about today. He's saying that because Jesus is our high priest, we can do this confidently. We have freedom to access God in prayer and present our prayers and our requests to Him. And you know, I saw it at that particular time. It was just like the blinders came off my eyes. And I saw that God wants us to take these matters to Him in prayer. And so right there, I just cast the care that I had, this anxiety that I had. I just presented it to Him and I gave it to Him. And you know what happened? A peace came over me, as we'll see here in verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding comes and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The situation that I'd been worried about hadn't changed. It was still exactly the same. But there was a peace that I had. I entered into God's rest. I entered into God's rest because of the fact that there is access and I took advantage of it. You see, it's not enough just to know that Jesus is our high priest, that he's made atonement for our sins, that he's opened up the way for us to come to God in prayer. We have to avail ourselves of this incredible gift that we've been given. And so whenever I feel anxious now, I remind myself, I say this, you've taken your eyes off the truth. Whenever I find anxiety about anything coming up, I just say, have you forgotten that Jesus is at the right hand of God? Have you forgotten that He is your high priest? Have you forgotten that you can go to God in prayer, that you can go right to the throne of grace and present your requests to Him, and that He will, you will find mercy, He will grant grace for you in your time of need to help you? And so whenever I find anxiety beginning to rise in my heart, this is what I remind myself to do. Sometimes it might take a little bit of time because I might just forget, you know. 
And I'm, I suddenly find this anxiety and then I remember, what are you being anxious about? The rest of God. We need to make every effort to enter into the rest of God. And so my question to you today is this. Is there anything that you are anxious about today? Are you living in the experience of God's rest? The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. What's that speaking about? Rest. He leads us beside still waters. What's that speaking about? Rest. Do you know that in the midst of all the chaos, all the struggles, all the trials, we can have peace. Not just peace with God, but the peace of God. Is it anxiety that you have today? Or is it the peace of God that you have today? What is in your heart? Is your heart filled with anxiety? Or is your heart just filled with this unspeakable, inexplicable peace? It's the peace of God that is the rest of God. Peace with God, no longer struggling to try and please, well, not to please Him, but no longer struggling to try and earn His favor, no longer struggling to be accepted by Him, no longer struggling with anxiety. Because whenever it comes, we can take it. We can take the, the cause of it and just present it to our God and Father. Does this encourage you today? Are we going to do it? Are we going to take our prayers and requests and present them to Him? So let's just stand right now. Because I want to do this right now. If you've got anxiety in your heart, if there's anything that you've been anxious about, why don't you just lift your hands, lift your eyes, focus on the Lord and just present that whole situation to Him right now. Why don't we just as a church, let's just come before the throne of grace and just lift those anxieties, lift those troubles and just present them to Him. Present your request, your supplication. Just present it to Him and leave it there with Him today. And just receive the peace of God into your hearts. So let's just as a church just do this for a moment. Father, thank You that we can come before You today. Each and every one of us. We can lift our prayers towards You. We can lift our anxieties. We can bring all these situations before You. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that the way is open. We have access to your very throne of grace. Thank you that we are assured of receiving mercy and finding grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are interceding for us, representing us, that you've made atonement for our sins, that there is forgiveness for our sins today. Thank you. That we can have this rest, this peace in our hearts. We can live in it. So Father, hear our prayers, hear our petitions, hear our supplications. Receive them, Lord, as we present them to you right now. Lord, let the peace of God come upon every single heart in this place here today. Let the knowledge of the fact that you are our God 
and that you reign supreme and that you are for us and that you have everything in your hands, including our own lives. May that truth be so real to us, Lord, today. We thank you, Lord. We do not have to be anxious about growing old. We do not have to be anxious about death. We do not have to be anxious about anything, Lord. We don't have to be anxious over our family members. We can present them to you. We don't have to be anxious over our finances and over our businesses. We can present those situations to you because you're the God who cares for us. You're the God who loves us. You're the God who has called us to yourself and taken us in. And so we thank you, Lord, for this today. Thank you, Lord. Every situation, Lord, we just cast the care of it right now upon you, Lord. That the care of that loved one, we cast it upon you. And we ask you to fill our hearts and our minds with your peace today. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, isn't that wonderful that we can do this? You know, sometimes we, we sort of feel as people that we, 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 we've got to sort it out. And when it's out of our control, that's when we start to get anxious, when we feel like we're losing control. But what we need to remember is that God is always in control. There's not a situation that's outside the scope of His control. So let's rest in that. And let's take this into the week. And let's just learn to do this. Let's teach ourselves to do this constantly. Let's remind one another. When someone's anxious, let's just remind them. Have you taken this to the Lord in prayer? You're anxious, but have you taken it to Him in prayer? And you know what I found sometimes is that we have to take it many times to Him in prayer. Not because God hasn't heard the first time, but because sometimes it just doesn't seem to sink into our own hearts and minds. And so if there's still that anxiety, just go away. Get by yourself. Get with the Lord. And just say, Lord, I want this burden lifted off my shoulders. This burden of anxiety and worry and fear. Lord, I don't want to live with this. I want to enter into your rest. And just let God work in you to bring this to pass. Okay? Is that good? Have you got something from today? All right.